ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to These Go to Eleven. Once again, I'm Nathan Bell, your host. Sitting across from me, Greg Dutcher. Greg, say hello. Hello. Uh, we have a special guest today, but first I want to tell you about our little promotion that we have going on in honor of our guest. Uh, we have Tanner from the Reform Pubcast. Um, and so, because he's on the show, Greg and I want to give away uh, two free six-packs uh, to our beer fans out there. Um, and here's how you're going to be able to get them. We want you to contact as many uh, friends as you can. Tell them to like our uh, Facebook and to follow us on Twitter. Make sure you tell them to message us with your name so that we know that you're the one who recruited them. And at the end of August, so this is going to go the whole month of August, at the end of August, we are going to, um, if you live in Maryland, we are going to put together a mixed six-pack uh, from the store that I work at and get that to you. If you are out of state, we'll work out the details when we get there, how we're going to get that to you. Either we'll call up a liquor store and you know near you and see if we can... Uh, get them to, you know, just put one on hold or something like that. But we'll we'll work out those details out of state later. Um, we do want to get to our uh, our guests, but um, that is uh, our free giveaway for the month of August. So. Yes, and uh, as you're mentioning that, Nathan, I'm currently recruiting uh, Twitter followers <laughs> and Facebook followers. So that you could get the uh, mixed six-pack? <laughs> yes, and it doesn't even need to be mixed. I would just like whatever summer version of uh, Heavy Seas is out there and oh does that not count is this one of these things where an employee of the company can't participate (laughs) that's right all all those all those qualifications so make sure as you're recruiting people you tell them uh to go ahead and and message us and let us know that you're the one that recruited them um so uh without further ado tanner thank you so much for joining us today how are you doing i'm doing good thanks for having me on yeah i know it's uh we're really excited we've been trying to get you on since uh the beginning of the summertime and it just hasn't worked out you are um in med school correct yeah tell us a little bit about that how's that going for you uh it's hard yeah (laughs) Uh, to say the least um it's just a lot of work but uh it's uh it's good it's definitely uh you know i I feel like it's my calling and i feel uh at peace with uh, what I'm doing. So, uh, it's good to finally be in, in that position where I, uh, feel like I've really started on, uh, the career path that the Lord has, has laid out for me. Uh, that's great. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, obviously you're in med school, you are, uh, one of the co-hosts on the reform Pubcasts. Um, what else you got going on down there? Friends, families, other hobbies, things like that. Well, I'm a reformed Christian. Uh, like you said, I, I host, uh, uh, podcast uh, about uh, basically about reform theology, beer talk, geek talk, uh, pop culture stuff like that, uh, with uh, a buddy of mine, Les, that I've I've known for a really long time. Um, I'm a member of a confessional Presbyterian church here in uh, in, in Orlando. Uh, I'm a husband of uh, one wife, and I have two <laughs> two uh, two kids, two boys, a, a four year old and a a two year old. Wow, and um, as far as hobbies, uh, when I I haven't had a lot of time for them because of school, but uh, I do uh, I do uh, a lot of home brewing, and nice. um, that's about it right now for hobbies. Yeah, yeah. Well, and home brewing keeps you pretty busy because you got to stay you got to stay on top of that stuff pretty consistently, right? Yeah, yeah. I didn't I didn't get to do very many batches during the school year, but over the summer I've kind of caught up. Nice. So, uh, yeah, it's, um, it's a full day of, of work and then, um, you know, you have to ferment it and stuff and mm-hmm. that's kind of just, uh, hurry up and wait for that. But right. you know, and then I don't bottle anymore. I keg now. So oh, I okay. nice. a lot cool. of my time too. So 
Tanner, what does a, uh, like when you're in full swing, you know, uh, I mean, you've got, wow, when you're saying you got a four-year-old and a two-year-old, uh, your wife is already worthy of great admiration. I'm sure you yeah. are her, her chief fan, no doubt. But what, what does a typical day look like for you, your family, when med school's in full swing? Uh, well, uh, I, let's see, I, I'm usually up by about 637, mm-hmm. um, depending on how late I studied. Uh, I would like to get up earlier, but most of the time, uh, just studying takes me into too late at the night. So I'm, I'm not able to get to bed at the time I'd like to, but so I'm up around 637. I, uh, last year I had classes at eight o'clock in the morning until about lunchtime. And then I'll study the rest of the afternoon unless I have some type of clinical thing to do. Um, so I average, uh, as far as studying goes, I think last year I was averaging somewhere between 55 and 60 hours a week studying, um, somewhere around there, a little bit more during, during, uh, exam weeks. Um, it's not the case for every med student. I'm just, uh, I just require a lot more time in the material because I like to, the only way I can do well is if I truly understand the material, I'm not good at memorizing stuff. So I have Mm -hmm. to uh, really understand what the material is saying. Um, so I have to spend a little bit more time. I'm, I'm one of the ones who probably spends, uh, a little more time than most. I think most people probably average around 40 hours a week of studying. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, as far as, uh, I, I try to be home for dinner, um, on test weeks, usually two weeks out from tests. That's, that doesn't happen. Um, but, uh, so I'm trying to, I try to be home by seven, seven thirty. uh, play with my kids a little bit, put them to bed, pray with them and, and uh, and then have dinner with my wife, and then we try to spend uh, the as much time as we can at night together. If I have some more studying to do, I'll go in my office and do that. Yeah. Um, but typically, most of my studying is done at school. My my wife prefers me to uh, when I come home to be home uh, yeah. and to not work work from home because it it's confusing for the kids and it's it's uh it's just hectic for for me to try to study at home and. Uh, she likes my attention to be here uh, when I'm here, and, and that's the way I prefer it too. Yeah, uh, I get more work done when I'm at school. So, hold on, Tanner. I'm writing a note. Nathan, don't let my wife listen <laughs> to that section of the podcast. Good, we got that covered. Uh, no, I mean that. Uh, the reason I say that, Tanner, uh, you know, tongue in cheek, obviously, is uh, I mean that is an exceptionally busy season of life. I mean, my wife was a nurse, so obviously, a very different path. Uh, that she took, but um, obviously knew a lot of doctors. Have had doctors that I've known from church life before uh, as a pastor. And as they paint that picture, particularly when they're raising young children, um, you know the the common thread that I hear again and again is that you 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 can't just sort of drift into a good pattern of family life. It won't just happen. Uh, when you're under that much pressure, particularly when you're studying 55 hours a week, which, by the way, I think is more than the combined total of me and Nathan's college study all four years. <laughs> yeah. So, yes. um, you know, and I mean that probably. <laughs> so that is that is incredible. Um, so you've and w- would you say, Tanner, you are a pretty disciplined person? That's that's the sense I'm getting from you. Yeah, I um, yeah, I. I'm pretty disciplined with it. Um, I'm I'm definitely recognized as one of the people who pretty much lives at school. Wow. So, um, mm. uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I guess I kind of just gauge where I'm at. I mean, I can kind of tell how well I know the material. And, and if I don't know something perfectly, I'm pretty hard on myself and, and just, you know, kind of kill myself until I, I feel comfortable with it and feel <laughs> confident. Um, but yeah, I have a, I pretty much just stick to a schedule and, and that, that what, that's what helps me, you know, stay disciplined plus staying in school. 
there's just not a lot of uh, ability to be distracted when yes. you're studying around everybody else who's working hard. It's kind mm. of the environment you're in. That's it's funny because I bring up uh, I bring up a study a lot to people who are trying to get. I, I actually helped less with it. I, I, I he was when he was in seminary, he was having issues with his study habits and stuff. And I read an article a long time ago about studying in busy areas. And so they this this studying or working in general. Um, this I don't know research group uh, did research on people who worked from home in in Manhattan, and they studied people who were working, but they would go to hotel lobbies or they'd go to Starbucks oh, and yeah. they work. And they found I don't know how I forget how they measured productivity. I don't know if it was amount of time spent on a task and not getting distracted with you know other tasks like Facebook or whatever. Mm-hmm. So it might have been, I think they might have used some type of software on the computer and the people who volunteered didn't know that they were being studied specifically for this so they wouldn't have changed their behavior. But anyways, they found that the productivity of people when they're surrounded by other people went up and they theorized that it was because they don't want other people to see them like messing around or, or not. They don't want to appear... Like they're not busy to other people, so it was huh. uh, it was a perception thing. They want to look important and busy around other people, and so one of the one of the it, you know one of the first things I advise people when they're trying to you know people who ask me about study habits, pre meds who who ask about it, is try to study around other people who are busy, and um, it will keep you on task because <laughs> if everybody else is working around you, you don't want to be on Facebook. And for some reason, we think people are looking over our shoulder, and if they see us on Facebook, they'll judge us for it, I guess. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> right. It's definitely a subconscious thing. Yeah. And we really do, you know, I mean, I'm sure there's pride. There's a lot of pride in that. We don't, but we don't want people to, uh, to think that we're, we don't have anything to do. Sure. We want to look productive. So um, that helps a lot. Just surrounding, I mean, when you're in med school, you're surrounded by productive people, you're surrounded by people who are hardworking. So it's really not that hard to kind of get in that zone. And get work done because everybody else is, and there's nothing really else to do. And um, you know, you work so hard to get there that you're not gonna you're not gonna throw it all away because you didn't get there by having bad study habits. You had to have good study habits to get there. Right. So. Right. Wow. Wow. That is uh, good. And I, and I love your your point there. I mean, obviously, you know, uh, all jokes aside, we want to be careful about pride. But you could almost sell, uh, sell that. How to use the fear of man to incentivize. Good study habits, but that's awesome. You know, I mean, yeah. look, don't get judged. Get in there and work. No, I see that. That's a very interesting uh, thought. It makes me want to go back to seminary um, and uh, you know pick up where I left off or start where I should have started. Um, that's that's cool, Tanner. Um, so, Tanner, uh, real real quick, and then we're gonna um, just dive into um, our, our topics for today. Um, what is it specifically that you're focusing in medicine? Well, right now, so the first, most of med school is you just kind of get a, a big overview of everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so the first year, you basically study uh, how the body is functions normally, so okay. how, how it's supposed to work. And then the second year, you study pathology, pathophysiology, which is basically what happens when all that goes wrong. Mm-hmm. So Interesting. Um, they kind of set the stage of here's how everything's supposed to work. And then the second year you, you study disease processes mm-hmm. and how that messes up what how things are supposed to work. Um, and then third year you do clerkships, which are where you actually work on the wards and you interact with patients and you treat patients. And uh, fourth year you still do that, but it's electives and kind of you're starting to kind of hone in on where you want to specialize 
you apply for residencies and then you you uh, match to a residency as they call it and you go off and specialize in something. So, uh, you know, there's emergency medicine, OBGYN, family practice, internal medicine. And then from there, you can fellowship from like internal medicine. You can fellowship in things like uh, nephrology or pulmonology or cardiology, um, all these different specialties. So you can you can really take this thing way out. I mean, uh, uh, you know, surgical, you know, for instance, like a neonate surgical uh, heart specialist, you know, those guys, they have five years of general surgery, surgery residency, and then something like, I think another six years of fellowship, wow. uh, mm. just for their specialization. That's not including the four years of medical school, plus the, the, you know, the four years for their undergraduate and all that. So, right. um, those guys are crazy though. They're, <laughs> they're aliens from outer space. I don't know how they, <laughs> do that. they work on hearts the size of, you know, uh, the size of gosh, you know, a dime Wow. sometimes. So, Wow, and and I mean, you're so you're early on in the process, Tanner. But do you, do you have any leaning at this point, or you're just sort of waiting to see how things uh, fall into place for you? Well, I was a firefighter paramedic before I went to med school, so mm-hmm. I was already really interested in emergency medicine. And yeah. uh, I kind of say like I went to med school because I wanted to become an emergency medicine doctor. So I'm mm-hmm. pretty I'm pretty much dead set on on emergency medicine um, from day one. Uh, it's just it fits my personality well. And, uh, it, you're still able to have a, a really good family life because you work, you work, uh, it's shift work. Sure. Um, the same way nurses work, basically it's the same type of, of work. You don't have call. So, um, it's, and it just, it's just the kind of environment and people that I like to be around. It's fast paced. It's, um, it's pretty, uh, pretty interesting. A lot of procedures, but also a lot of medicine. So, uh, it, it just fits, it fits the things I'm interested in, in medicine really well. And, and most likely I'd say 99% sure, unless the Lord has other plans for me, uh, that I'll, I'll, I'll end up in emergency medicine. Neat, neat. And if you're in Orlando, I'll keep that in mind, yeah. uh, <laughs> to request you at, uh, and, and have to ask when, when do you find time then? Uh, cause you and, uh, Les, am I right? It's typically, you have a podcast a week uh-huh. and, uh, when do you typically find the time to do that? Uh, well we do that. Uh, either Friday night or Saturday morning. Friday night works a little bit better because I I try to be home at night anyways. So yeah. Saturday I usually get an early start in studying and study for twelve to fourteen hours on Saturdays. So yeah. the Friday night we we cast, but we've we've been doing it long enough now where uh, the show's an hour and a half and it takes about an hour and a half to to cast. Oh, that's so great. So I, I sit down for an hour and a half and and chat with my buddy and kind of get to catch up with him and. Uh, so it's it's a nice little kind of weekly meeting that we have, and really sometimes the cast is is more really turns out to be more for us just to have an ability to catch up as friends, and sometimes I just forget that we're even doing it for the entertainment value that it right, offers other right. people. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's just kind of an opportunity to him and I can't he lives far too far to where we can't meet for a beer every week and yeah. talk, so we kind of just meet for a beer over Google Hangouts and talk about what we always talked about when we met for a beer and record it and uh it has entertainment value i guess because people listen to it so yeah yeah yeah, yeah uh, uh sure does and i have to ask you because i know less than you do this you normally start your show first half you, you sort of talk about what you're drinking and are you drinking anything as you're talking with us no i was gonna go grab something but then i i sat down and and you guys called and i never went and grabbed something oh but, uh, man <laughs> hey feel free dude because we can take it out in the post uh you know to go to go grab something so we'll tell you what am i what am I drinking, Nathan? What is this? You are drinking uh, 
Art Hop Ale by Magic Hat okay. from Magic Hat. Um, and earlier today, I had the uh, Magic Hat Number Nine, so their their flagship uh, pale ale. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, yeah. We normally have something in here, and uh, nice. normally don't give that the uh, the focus. But do you do you want to grab something, Tanner? Sure, I'll grab something. Uh, you just w- went to grab a drink, Tanner. What did you pick up? I actually just poured some of my uh, summer cream stout that I brewed at the beginning oh, of the summer. Oh, that you brewed. Oh, nice, awesome. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty good. It's it's actually getting better as it sits in the keg. I was not impressed with it when I first made it. Okay, um, but I made it for my wife and she liked it. So okay. that's all that matters. Yeah, uh, <laughs> it's style. off style, so it it kind of upset me. But it's still a very drinkable beer. It's just it didn't come out the way I intended it to come out. Sure. So. Yes. Yes. And for our listeners that may not listen or have not uh, listened yet to the uh, uh, the pubcast, uh, your signature phrase: "Cheers and amen." Cheers which, and amen. Which is just fantastic. That's uh, wish we had come up with that first. We what we do, what we do, Tanner. We just steal other people's taglines. That's right. Rock the Casbah. These go to eleven and just use them as our own. That's right. We, yeah, we. Uh, there's a real uh, void in creativity here, but we're. Those are both really good references, though. So yeah, that's what we. <laughs> that's what we thought. Great references have to be used. So. I actually recently picked up a a, a forty five single of Rock the Casbah. Oh yeah, <laughs> amazing condition. Wow, and it sounds so much better on vinyl. Yes. Um, so yeah, everything does. Doesn't everything? Yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> true. everything does. No doubt. Well, um, Tanner, the reason we wanted to spend uh, so much time just kind of setting up what you do and your medical background is because um, there's so much going on with uh, Planned Parenthood. Sure. And we wanted to get your thoughts and and ideas and views. Obviously, as a believer, you value uh, the sanctity of life. Um, but I, I would assume that um, – you know, amongst uh, your peers, that's not always the case. Um, just talk to us a little bit about that. Talk to us about a little bit about how um, people view you and your worldview um, and and life. Um, before we actually got on the podcast, you said there's really there's a, uh, some misconceptions from the general public to the medical community in this regard. So talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely a question I get a lot. So based on the fact that I, I get asked it all, I think people assume that, um, you know, being a Christian in the medical community, I, I might be facing a lot of, uh, I guess, issues with, with this stuff. And it's, I, I haven't as of yet. And mm-hmm. I work, even before when I worked in hospitals, um, it just wasn't really something that came up or was an issue. Um, the reality is that at least thus far with my interaction with my classmates, um, I haven't. I, I just haven't really experienced anybody who's staunchly pro-choice. I mean, there. there I. I wouldn't say that there aren't. I don't have classmates that are, are pro-choice. I. I definitely do. But as far as them, uh, you know, being in a line to sign up to perform abortions, it's just. It's just not present. Uh, the ones that I've talked to who are pro-choice, they see the the whole reality of abortion as a terrible thing. Um, and, but they, it's almost like they see it as like a a terrible necessity, an unfortunate necessity for, uh, for, you know, certain situations, I guess. And obviously as a Christian, you know, I push back on that and we talk about that, but, um, for the most part, people who get into medicine, at least, like I said, my experience thus far, um, are there because they really are, they're there to save lives. Um, Mm -hmm. and they're not there. No one's really seems interested in, 
performing abortions or, you know, even really talking about it. It's not something that's in our medical school curriculum. We don't learn how to do it. Um, it's not something that you uh, are forced to do. Um, it, you know, uh, it's not uh, it's it's it, I don't feel any kind of pushback from my professors about feeling the way I do about it. Um, the reality is a lot of them do view, you know, the Hippocratic Oath as something that includes uh, unborn babies as well. Interesting. Um, and, and I'm sure there's those who don't. But as far as um, looking to perform them, no one's no one's, you know, upset that we're not learning how to do it or, or thinks that they want to go do that as a career choice or something like that. Hmm. Yeah. Now, And uh, do you have any courses in medical school, Tanner, on ethics, is that even still a thing? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, yeah, it's still a thing. Um, even in my ethics, we took ethics last year and, and psychosocial issues. Um, there wasn't any uh, talk about voluntary abortions. Mm-hmm. We did talk about in, in situations the ethics behind um, uh, abortions in situations where uh, – you know, if a mother has to be given uh, a, a drug to save her life and it could possibly injure her baby, um, that you know, the approach to that, uh, those situations are extremely rare. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's there's a lot of different ways to uh, to handle those situations. There's other forms of treatment and things like that. Um, I think what it comes down to in most ethics committees in hospitals and in med schools is that. Uh, the the health of your patient is 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 your number one priority, um, and the the idea behind most of those most of those situations is that if the mother doesn't live, the 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 baby's not going to make it anyway. So you have to do everything you can to preserve the mother's life to ensure the life of of the child mm-hmm. uh, that's in utero. So um, as far as there's, I just there hasn't been any situations that I can think of where. Um, you would have to uh, abort a baby um, and and be in a situation where you wouldn't have to do that. It, there's not something you're giving that would actually save the mother's life. Um, so there, it's just not something that really comes up. Um, just really the the kind of cap they put on it is is that your patient is your number one priority, mm-hmm. um, and you have to do everything you can to preserve that patient's life. And that goes for when that, when that patient is pregnant, because if you can preserve their life, then you give the baby the best shot of preserving their life. Um, especially obviously if they can't be, if they can't survive on their own yet. Um, if they can't, you know, if they can't be a preemie or something like that, mm-hmm. um, they're in that stage where, uh, they have to be in wo- in, in the womb or they, they, they won't be able to make it. So, uh, it's just, like I said, it's just not something that really is that, that present. Yeah, and and has the uh, Planned Parenthood uh, news cycle uh, sparked any conversations uh, among your peers, or is it sort of a a non? Not that it's a non-issue, obviously, but in terms of what uh, second-year med students that you're seeing all the time is is that sort of beyond the field of interest or focus right now, or is it something that is natural to talk about? I was just curious. Um, I'm on summer break right now, so oh, I haven't right. had too much interaction with uh, people on it. Yeah. It's weird because it just seems like I, I, even if, if I could guess what the response would be to it, um, I just don't think there would be much much chatter about it at all based on other things that happened in the news with abortion and stuff like that uh, during the course of last year, anything that ever came up. People I, – I don't know if it's because we're all too busy to be paying attention to the news 
or if people just kind of avoid the conversation because it's just not something that they're uh, they're comfortable with talking about or yeah. hmm. um, like I said most you know most med students that I've talked to um, they they don't they're they're not comfortable with the idea of abortion they don't they're not comfortable as doctors performing one uh, they don't they don't they're not interested in ever having to be in that realm of of I guess you could call uh, medical procedures um, so it seems to be something that comes up a lot less than I think a lot of people think it would come up. Yeah. And like I said, I think the majority of people who go into med school are there to save lives. And I think that the majority of them, uh, if they're honest with themselves, see, see a baby as life, especially considering the classes we go through mm. and understanding when hearts be- heartbeats begin. And when you do embryology and you see uh, this amazing – uh, creation, this amazing human being being formed um, so early on and everything happening, it's the more and more you learn about biology, the harder it is to ne- to deny uh, the design behind it and um, and just the, the, the life that's behind it. Uh, so I think, especially after embryology, I think, you know, that that has a huge impact on people wow. and understanding how um, how much of a life it truly is. And how it's not just some clump of of cells or whatever the you know the most trendy thing they're saying now is. Hmm. And yeah. and so Tanner, you're saying that even among your classmates who would be uh, pro-choice, this is the general thought and consensus among them is is yeah, this is a life, and this is uh, you, you would almost say they're pro-choice, but it, it's circumstantial for them, correct? Yeah, I think what it is is just a sign of a sign of obvious contradiction within their thinking. I think, mm-hmm. I think they're pro-choice, uh, at least the ones I've talked to are pro-choice, but they're, they're not interested in performing the procedure. They, they don't think the procedures are, uh, humane. They mm-hmm. don't, they don't, you know, they, they think the whole thing is this hor this, this evil, but it's necessary for it to exist. And I think that that shows that they understand that, deep down inside they know it's a life and that's why they're uncomfortable with it if if it was just a clump of cells then why would they not be interested in in doing it why would they you know i've had pro-choice students ask you know before we don't ever have to perform a voluntary abortion do we Hmm. um so they're not you know they're they're what's what's going on deep inside of them is contradicting what they're saying and i i think it's just because you know it all boils down to the fact that they're 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 not submitting to uh, the God of the Bible. They're they're using you know secular reasoning to try to make sense of uh, and marry their feelings that are deep inside about how they feel about life versus what society has told them and uh, all the usual arguments of of rape and uh, of of you know mothers mother is in danger the you know the mm-hmm. the, the usual very rare yeah. case arguments sure sure um, and so they they don't know how to be consistent because they're not reasoning from a, a consistent uh, source of of, of knowledge. Um, so I, I think you know it's just it's evident in, in all kinds of thinking in our world where one thing comes out of their mouth but their actions say something else. And mm-hmm. I think that the actions of of any doctor who's pro-choice but does you know shies away from doing um, voluntary abortions, I think it shows that they they deep down inside know that there's something precious about what's what's inside that woman and um they just don't know how to uh how to marry those two conflicting ideas or figure out how to be consistent with those ideas because the inconsistency is coming from an inconsistent 
uh, worldview. Sure. Yes. Yes. And that, um, you know what I love there, Tanner, and I, I mean this uh, uh, sincerely. You brought a nice presuppositional approach to that issue too, uh, which I've heard you guys talk about on the podcast many times, and uh, it's yeah, very good that people are presupposing a secular worldview and they're bringing that to the table. Um, we found, you know, my wife and I've talked about these things often. One, because, um, I mean, we're blessed. We have four children, uh, but we um, have experienced uh, several miscarriages before and in between and, and, and since that time. And, um, you know, we grieve all of those as, as losses, as losses of life that were precious. As you said, something inside of her was precious. Uh, I'm cautious. I, I, I would never urge a Christian to make a uh, rhetorical point uh, with a woman who has just lost a baby, uh, even a pro-choice woman that has experienced a miscarriage. So it's a question of timing and appropriate place and context. But we have found with a couple of women in our life um, that you can make some inroads with that, that you know, a, a woman that uh, miscarries at 10 or 11 weeks is grieving as if she has lost a baby, not that uh, she had a uh, sort of biological anomaly uh, not that um, you know something strange happened to her, like a sickness or a virus. Um, not to uh, you know uh, indict that person and say, "Ah, oh, we got you," uh, but as an opportunity to get her to think about what what life is and where life starts. Um, you know, because obviously, most women that miscarry um, wanted that baby and don't view it like a clump of cells that were just expelled from their body. So um, I, I would imagine. And if you were, uh, I'm guessing this would become, if you were to uh, be an OBGYN, uh, at some point, do these issues get more scrutiny in the field of study or the fellowship or residency um, in, in, in terms of students actually having to think about these things more? Sure. Yeah, I'm not really sure what it's like in the OBGYN field. I've, I've always wondered that, and it's probably a question I could throw at an OBGYN. Um, I just don't know how much... It comes up. I feel like that abortion is one of these things that's in like this dark alley of medicine somewhere that the majority of people in the the medical community never see. They don't want to see, and they're not really that interested in in. You know, I just it's not, it's not like you sign up for a residency in aborting babies. Um, yeah, it's just yeah. not something which, again, shows this inconsistency. If it's just a clump of cells and it's just another it's just another procedure and who cares? Um, but it's not. And, and, and everybody knows that because everybody has everybody deep down inside, just like Romans one says, know that God know that knows that God exists and they understand his truth and they understand, uh, especially after going through med school and understanding biology to the extent that we're we're expected to understand it, you can't look at embryology and tell me that there is not life there. Uh, it's just impossible. I mean, and, 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 and even so, you know, taking the evidence that's there scientifically and then taking, you know, obviously the presuppositional approach, it's just, it's undeniable, um, which is why I think it's very clear that med students see the Hippocratic Oath as something that uh, also protects babies. And I think it shows that even if, if a woman came in especially for an OBGYN, if a woman came in and she was having issues with her baby, an OBGYN would do everything they could to preserve that life. Mm-hmm. It's not just a clump of cells. Um, and, you know, the law is inconsistent on it. I mean, there's there. Uh, I'm not sure uh, if it's every state, but I know there are states that if you, um, you know, you get in a car accident and 
the woman, uh, a pregnant woman, uh, she's not, she doesn't die. But if you cause, let's say you were recklessly driving mm-hmm. or drunk driving and you hit a pregnant woman and you cause her to have a spontaneous abortion, um, you can be charged with manslaughter. Yes. So yes. Um, that's an inconsistency in the law. And, and it goes to show that we recognize that there's something sacred about about a fetus. Um, so it, it's, you know, these, these things are all around us. And, and even in this recent Planned Parenthood stuff, you see, um, you see the inconsistency and in the argument that it's, it's just a clump of cells, yet they're selling body parts. Yes. They're selling yeah. organs. Yeah. So, um, you know, organs are, are something that is now, if you talk to people, uh, uh, you know, humanistic evolutionist people about, organ systems they'll tell you that that's a sign of life that that's an organized clump of cells mm-hmm. now you've mm-hmm. organized something and that is the the primordial soup idea of forming one-celled organisms forming these things are the first signs of life they will say yeah. yet they'll say that these forms of cells that are organs are not are not life so again just more and more inconsistencies um and there's just no way to marry these ideas at all, the only way to make sense of yourself is if you're reasoning from from the Bible up. So, yeah. you know, but but like I said, it's just not something that uh, that, that is really an issue in med school, and and thankfully so, I, I can be free to say I take the Hippocratic oath as me preserving life in utero and and life out of utero, mm-hmm. and and um and I'm not I have not seen any persecution for that. I haven't experienced any kind of no one in my class looks at me like, oh, my gosh, what's wrong with you? You think a baby's life. I mean, it's definitely something that people understand. And 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 uh, and I think for the majority of them, they feel the same way. Their just mouth doesn't present it uh, the way that they're convicted with it. Sure. Yeah, well said, Tanner. Thank you. Now, uh, Tanner, l- let me ask you because there's a lot of laws that are – um, you know, being passed with these Planned Parenthood laws to educate um, women who come in wanting abortions to, you know, under to, to, to almost have, you know, on a, on a basic level, some of those medical um, understandings that you have of a, of a child and of a baby, um, and you know, the fetus, and then even more so, the understanding of what happens. The I think you you said the savage treatment of um, an abortion earlier, you know, and so there are many people who are trying to push that before they can do that, they have that understanding. Is that something that you would, um, based on, on your training, your education of what you went through in terms of, you know, understanding a fetus and the life, um, that's going on there, is that something that you think you would, um, be in favor of? I'd rather just push to make abortion illegal. Mm -hmm. Um, I'd rather push Mm -hmm. my efforts towards that. I think education is great. I think that educating people is the single best way to um, to change ideas and and to uh, help people to make good decisions. Um, but it's not it's not the solution as a Christian that I think I, I would want to put my efforts into. My efforts would I'd rather put my efforts into making abortion murder like it is mm-hmm. um, and making the law of the land uh, say as such. Um, I understand that it's kind of, you know, at this point, people are doing it as, as you know, uh, a compromise because they're un, unable to to get uh, it made murder and, you know, in the law books. But um, 
and you know, and and if God uses that in a in a way to save babies, that's you know that's fantastic. And I know he he has used it that way, before, you know, with women. I mean, I know there's women who see these things and decide I can't do this. This is this is a life. Um, and uh, but I think it's kind of a last ditch effort. And I, I you know, I'd rather just see uh, people prosecuted for murder when when they kill their child, because mm-hmm. uh, that's what it is. Yeah. Uh, and um, and you know, you, you, the, the, the unfortunate thing about those things is the people who push back on that educational, uh, uh, requirement are the same people who swear that, you know, swear that they're, uh, they live by science and how science, they, they tout science as this end all be all God, mm-hmm. um, which obviously as a medical student, I, I love science. Sure. Um, but I love science in the context that I understand that God has bless me with a system in order to know more about his creation. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not my God. It's, it's, it's a, it's a way and a means for me to learn more about my God and, and what he's created. Um, so it's just interesting that they are against scientific education because it, it doesn't serve their purposes. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, again, it just shows their bias. Um, and they're picky and choosy about the the science that they want to they want to uh, share with others or educate others and sure yeah did did either of you guys um showing my uh <laughs> my lack of uh, uh medical knowledge but uh did you either of you guys see the movie juno i'm, I'm shifting there did I, you, yeah i did i, yeah, did I didn't know uh there was a scene in there i don't know if you uh it, I've, it's been some years ago tanner but uh, i think uh you know she goes in to an abortion clinic i believe and there's it's interesting. It, it sort of was a surprising scene. There's one of her high school peers who's sort of nerdy and socially awkward looking, who is the the sole protester outside of the um, uh, place. And I thought, oh, here we go. You know, it's just the typical portrayal of sort of the wild eyed, yeah. yeah, Christian Yahoo that uh, is completely out of touch. And it was interesting, though. Um, she held up a sign that might have had a biblical reference. I can't quite uh, bring it to mind, but. Um, she says to Juno before she goes in, she says, you know, your baby has fingernails. And uh, I don't know if you uh, remember that scene, Tanner, but there's a great scene uh, about two or three minutes after that where she's sitting around after some bits of dialogue that she's had with whoever has taken her. And um, all she sees everywhere are fingernails. You know, they zoom mm-hmm. in on a guy tapping his finger. Um, it, it, it was interesting, and I was actually surprised not knowing if the film had any agenda in particular. It was kind of a quirky film. Uh, but I thought that was a powerful scene. You know, she she saw these fingernails everywhere. And, of course, it was magnified by the camera, and it was mm-hmm. pounding in her mind like a drum. And she chose to leave. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, I mean, I, just to say I'm sort of an all of the above, Tanner, on that. I mean, maybe I'm being pessimistic. I We did a, uh, a podcast recently on the, uh, on the uh, Scottish... Uh, same-sex marriage uh, verdict, um, mm-hmm. and I, I, I tend to think, and please, uh, listeners out there, if you think I'm a, uh, a unhopeful pessimist, I'm not trying to be. I, <laughs> I, I'm trying to be realistic. I'm not sure if it'll ever change in in this country, having been in place for 40 years. So um, I might be a big educational proponent, but yeah, by no means do I think efforts to, uh, as you said, I think very, very well, call it what it is. Uh, it mm-hmm. is murder. Um, and if we had the courage of our convictions, we would put that in the books. But um, thank you, Tanner. Just uh, I can tell you, you know your stuff, and uh, you know we better move on to the next topic, Nathan, because I'm feeling increasingly dumb. Um, <laughs> no, I, as, no, no. 
I actually, um, I did, I did want to um, just uh, stay in the medical topic real quick. Something that that uh, was just coming to my mind as as we were talking, um, just. Um, when, because you've been, this is your second year, or you just completed your second year? Um, no, 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 I just completed my first. You just completed your first year. Okay, second. so you're going into your second. Um, but during that time, we, um, we've we gone through and we've seen the changes with um, the national healthcare system going on. Was that kind of talked about in residency amongst, amongst you guys mm, and, and how that would change and affect um, the medical profession or anything like that? Um, yeah, I mean, in a sense, it's talked about. Um, I don't think the majority of doctors favor it. So the majority of the interactions that I've had with professors on it, um, it's funny because the professors who are uh, have PhDs, um, versus those who are, uh, so academics versus, uh, clinicians. Mm-hmm. So your clinicians, your MD guys, uh, and gals and, 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 and your PhDs, PhDs, obviously, uh, you know, coming from a uni- very much more academic university setting, much more liberal, mm-hmm. uh, are very in favor of, of the law. Um, and, uh, but they're also not the ones who are having to deal with it. Um, sure. So your clinicians are have have a lot of negative things to say about it. Most that I encounter say uh, it there is a problem. This isn't the right solution. Mm. Um, I have a lot of opinions on healthcare. I've mm-hmm. I've read a lot of economics on it. I've um, I you know basically I think that the you know just to kind of make it short because we could we could make a whole show about this. Sure. I, I don't I don't want to do that, but. Basically, uh, the problem I see with healthcare in this country is there's a breakdown between the relationship between the patient and the doctor. And um, one of the big things that people forget is that prior to, I'd say, maybe the middle of the 1960s, maybe even a little before that, um, this is something actually that that Ron Paul says all the time uh, as a doctor who worked during that time. People forget that the healthcare in this country, prior to the government really stepping in and making changes with Medicaid, Medicare, prior to those those government involvements, the healthcare in this country was the envy of the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was the best there was, and I think one of the contributing factors to that was obviously I think there was less government. I don't think government, you know, has they don't have they're not MDs, uh, they're not nurses. They they don't know what they're they don't know what they're doing. Most of them are lawyers. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't understand what what goes on in a hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, so they have no business really, and they don't under they don't they don't ha- they don't have the qualifications to make decisions like that. Um, and so the big problem that I see is that there's just a lack of the ability for patients and doctors to do business together. Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's uh, too many veils over what prices are for things, and um, there's just not an ability for doctors and patients to work together. I can't, for instance, here's a perfect example, um, is if I, I can't, if you come into my office and I, I take Medicare, Medicaid patients and you come to me and you're my, you're, you go to, let's say we go to church together and you know, you're, uh, you're, I'm close to you. I know you well, you come to me and you say, man, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm having a hard time right now. Um, you know, I just got laid off from my job or something and I just don't have any money. Um, what could you, you know, just see me for a normal visit for? And, and, you know, I, being charitable, I would have no problem saying I I can see you for $10 or $20 Mm -hmm. or something like that. Something you can afford. 
Um, I can't do that legally if I take Medicare Medicaid patients because I would be committing Medicare Medicaid fraud. Yes. Because I have to charge you the same price that I would charge Medicaid. Right. Wow. So that that's a problem because we're not able to actually do charity as doctors. We're not able to look at a patient on a case by case basis and help out a patient or really talk about prices with our patients because we're 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 kind of uh, stuck in this system where we have to charge, you know, what whatever the government says we have to charge. And I think that patients have a veil over their eyes over what the cost of certain procedures are, whether they're insured or, or, or they're, they're on Medicaid or Medicare, and that there's no other business in, the, in, in, in society that works that way. There's no other insurance that works the way health insurance works. Mm. Um, and that's, that's, the big, that's the big problem I have because really the healthcare is about a relationship between you and the provider. Yeah. It's not about you and your insurance company, and then the provider, mm-hmm. um, and and so it just that's where the breakdown is, and that and that's why I think people aren't getting good care, and that's mm-hmm. why I think healthcare prices are too high. So, yeah, yeah, no, I really appreciate you uh, taking the time because I think um, I it, it's funny I, since I've started doing this podcast, I've stayed relatively silent on many issues that are going on between uh, my friends all over the board. I just. I feel like having this podcast, I don't want um, to come across inappropriately, which I think I would one way or another on Facebook. Um, I think Facebook is a great way to brutalize your thoughts and <laughs> and ideas. Yeah. Um, but I just I, – I so many times see so many of my friends commenting and posting – uh, one way or the other, whether it's um, on abortion, whether it's on uh, the the national healthcare system, whatever it might be, uh, and so for me, I really appreciate having you come on and and you know explain things from a medical perspective, being in this field, in this industry, or moving um, more so into the field and into the industry, and having this you know, professionals say, well, you know, here are the perceptions, here are what, here's what people are saying, here's the reality of what's going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, it, there's varying opinions among clinicians, but I think for the most part, doctors want to improve the contact they have with their patients and would like the ability to work with their patients a little bit more on a case by case basis, mm-hmm. um, like you can do in any other industry. Um, we're, we are, we're, it's a service industry. We're providing a service and it's a customer service industry. It's a, it's a people person industry and, um, it's really being stripped from us and it's destroying patient care. Yeah. And it, and, and I absolutely think that prices are too high for healthcare, but I don't think it's because doctors are greedy. Um, I'm sure mm-hmm. there are, there definitely are greedy doctors, but I don't think that that's the main problem. I think the problem is, is that consumers don't know what they're paying for things mm-hmm. and, they're not able to make competitive choices because of that. Sure. Um, and if you uh, if you're able to make competitive choices based on the quality of care and the price of care, then the quality of care and the price of care will be better. So um, and that and that's that's you know doctors will be uh, in, there'll be an incentive to provide better care at a better cost mm-hmm. because they'll be competing and patients will understand will be will be better informed on 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 uh prices and right. also quality of care so that's kind of where my whole basis of it all stands and is just in improving the consumer's experience in healthcare. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. so well and it's like you said earlier i mean w- 
it feels like we're just in an age where we want people telling us what to do and where to go instead of actually, as you said, being educated. You know, I, I think um, I think obviously there are going to be some obstacles um, in education. We are stubborn people, and if you know we could just be educated and to the right decision, you know, many a people would be. Christians who aren't. Um, but I do think you're right. I think there's a severe lack of education and lack of understanding um, that, that starts from the ground up. I mean, could you imagine in high schools, instead of, you know, worrying about some of these, you know, stupid, trivial subjects, um, you know, you, you think about like calculus 300 or whatever it is, you know, hey, let's have a class where we actually teach people, you know, about health and, you know, health education and, Mm -hmm. you know, let's inform them what's out there and what, you know, medical services are worth and things like that and start educating the people to, you know, almost take the healthcare back into their own hands. Uh, I uh, I would like to say uh, I only got the calculus 200. (laughs) So uh, that's beyond my pay grade. (laughs) Yeah. And I agree. I think people need to see their healthcare as something that's more of a priority. Um, and, uh, and be willing to be willing to make it a priority even in their budget. Mm. Um, you know, I, I, I think that, uh, you know, for me, like I'm a big proponent of high deductible insurance with health savings accounts and working out cash prices with your doctor. Mm -hmm. Um, if you can, if they're not on, if they're not a doctor who takes Medicaid, Medicare patients, um, because I think that that's, you know, that, that fits kind of my idea of how the doctor patient relationship should go. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but that's also takes time to, you know, make healthcare a priority and, in, uh, in knowing your doctors well, knowing the, the care that they provide, but also, um, making it a priority in your budget to yeah. save and, and to be wise with your, with your money and, 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 um, and in the provisions that the Lord has given you. And, and, you know, that's just for me, that's just coming from a biblical worldview of that, you know, uh, I need to take care of myself and and making health care a priority for you is is doing that. And I agree that a lot of people just want somebody to tell them what to do. Um, and so, uh, you know, I guess we'll see how it goes with the quality of care. I mean, I have a, a couple students in my class who are from Canada and uh, they it's pretty it's pretty uh, uh, agreed upon by them that the health care in Canada is is unless you live in the city, the healthcare is absolutely horrible. Um, One of my classmates had their, one of their uh, relatives was very sick and needed a, I think a, I think a transplant or needed some type of procedure. And they waited for a year in Canada and it never, never happened for them. And and they had to come down to the States and get it done. And there's a lot of negative opinions about um, the idea of just providing free care to everybody because when you when something's free, people will consume it till the value is zero. Sure, yeah. Um, that's just simple ep- economics. I mean, it's it's as simple as next time you go to a barbecue restaurant. I don't know if your barbecue restaurants have this, but this is kind of an example I like to use. Um, I have a bar. There's a barbecue restaurant uh, that I go to that has they have mints, mm-hmm. and the mints are free, and then they have uh, like chocolate mints, and the and the chocolate mints are five cents, <laughs> and the chocolate mint dish has I've never seen. Any, I've never seen anybody buy one, and, it, and it's just as slapful as it's always been. But the 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 mints that are free, everybody who walks out takes one. Yeah. Now, five mm-hmm. cents for a chocolate mint is is no big deal. It's five cents, but it's not free. So people right. consume free things whether whether there's no value of it to them or not. Um, they just consume it because it's like, well, it's there's no there's no detriment to them to consume it. Right. Uh, and, and that's the problem. And it, and it devalues healthcare. Uh, it makes it something that has zero value to people. Um, yeah. So, 
Yeah, no, that's that's uh, very very true, and I think uh, your approach that you're advocating, Tanner, very much is a. I mean, it's just really applied stewardship. Would mm-hmm. you say it's the the fact that there is a sense again a biblical worldview. My body is a gift. It's not really mine to do with what I want. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I need to uh, conduct it and use it and, and operate within the parameters God has, has uh, set forth. So a natural sort of almost applied overflow of that is that you would plan um, yeah. to take care of your body the way you plan, you know, to uh, plan a garden or the uh, you know the way you plan a vacation. Things that that matter to you, uh, mm-hmm. you care about. So I, I think you bring a very unique. Um, very unique uh, perspective. Have to ask you, um, you know, getting a little more serious here. Um, how much is a medical school like things I see on the show Scrubs? I just have to ask. <laughs> Nothing. No, <Yeah>. man. <laughs> You're ruining my whole summer, Tanner. <laughs> I mean, uh, so Scrubs is covering residency. Oh, that's right. Uh, that is residency. But uh, yeah. as far as like what the what entertainment, you know, uh, kind of portrays. The medical community, uh, it's pretty inaccurate. If you want a pretty decent uh, kind of uh, portrayal of what medical kind of work is like, I'd say trauma life in the ER is probably as close as it gets. Okay. Um, but that's not even on anymore. But that's, that's I mean, that's at least the nature of a, of a trauma hospital. Yes. Um, but as far as the entertainment, it's like cop shows and anything else. It's just, uh, it's for dramatic effect. Of course. Mm-hmm. Um but uh, there are there. I would say that there are a lot of Dr. Coxes out there that um, are yes. just torturing young <laughs> residents and pimping them, as we call it, rather, <laughs> asking them questions and stuff. So that that mm. is present, but um, it's just part of the. It's you know, it's just a, a hazing thing. Sure. So. Yes. <laughs> yes. No. That's uh, good. One of our guests that's on here, Dave Shive. If you're listening, Dave. Uh, I always call him my my Doctor Cox. He was the mm. the senior pastor of my first church when I got out of <laughs> seminary, and um, and uh, my wife says to this day, I'm 44 years old, that I am living for one word of affirmation from Dave Shive. Um, <laughs> you know, and uh, he he he's called me some girls' names before and that sort of thing. So I uh, I I can uh, I can definitely relate to that. So hey, and, and yeah, and I have to ask ER. Uh, my wife and I, first year we were married, it's dating us a little bit, ER came out, and, uh, you know, at the time I thought, wow, this is incredible, because uh, it was this fast-paced, you know, ER, um, you know, action sequence, uh, single camera shot scenes and all that, uh, but my, my guess is you're saying it's not really like that. I've actually never seen ER. It oh, was okay. kind of, um, I was really, really young when that show came out, like the George Clooney whole mm-hmm. thing, like, um, so I never, I never watched that. Yeah, um, I will say that I've watched all of House, and I my wife hates watching it with me because I get super upset and angry and start yelling <laughs> yeah. medical facts <laughs> to correct all the yeah. bad things that they say. But it's you know it's an, it's it's an entertainment thing. It's not right. supposed to be medically accurate. But I, I always say like they could hire one medical consultant for the show and not have all this stuff. Yes. Wrong. <laughs> yes. Um, and, uh, Hey, and you may already know this Tanner, but, uh, my little geeked out fact on house, did you know that it's loosely based on the, uh, on the Sherlock Holmes storyline? Yeah. 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 He's supposed, yeah, he's supposed to be Sherlock and yeah. And you yeah. can tell it's, it's uh, Wilson instead of Watson. Um, yeah. you know, he's a, he's a drug addict really what he's hooked to Vicodin. Yeah. Uh, and somebody told me, I wonder if this is uh urban legend stuff, but somebody told me, if you look at his apartment door number, it's 221B. Um, oh, nice. Which I'm going to 
We're going to Google We're just going to say that it We're is. We're going to say it's true. That's right. Somebody saw it on the internet, which verifies it in and of itself. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that, that whole shtick was good. I mean, uh, we talked about House, didn't we, in the we did. recent podcast yep. that yep. Uh, that kind of character yes. that, uh, you know, is, is always uh, very, very intriguing. Yes. Um, Tanner, we want to be very mindful of your time. Um, we actually didn't intend to make this an entire medical episode. No, but, but I'm glad we did. Yeah, it was it was really good, and we really appreciate ta- appreciate you taking the time to speak with us about these things. Um, so thank you so much. Yeah, yeah, and just remember, you know, I'm just a first year medical student. I'm not the authority on any of this, but this is just kind of my experience thus far um, in trying to keep it. Uh, you know, always trying to keep what I'm thinking and learning and these perspectives uh, uh, submissive to, you know, a biblical worldview sure. uh, and the truth that's in the Bible. But, sure. um, you know, still have a lot of learning to do and a lot of growing to do. And I'm, I'm sure I'll, I'll uh, have some serious challenges with that in the future. But, um, yeah. yeah, absolutely. And yeah, again, thank you so much. And, you know, maybe, uh, maybe sometime, you know, we can make this an annual thing where we uh, call up after each, uh, each year of, medical school and yes. find out what's new and and going on so. yes and, and yeah, we, lord willing for yeah. sure. <laughs> and, and we hope it's not one of those things tanner we said yeah everything i said last year scratch um <laughs> you know we've yeah, replaced it with new knowledge i don't think that's yeah. going to uh yeah. going to be the case but uh no tanner i think you maybe gave us outside of dr john frame one of our smartest shows yes uh which Absolutely. is good which now granted any guest <laughs> does that just by being here i I was gonna say that's that doesn't take very much with you and i greg pretty much if we get one outside person statistically the chance of the uh brain power increase nathan have you harnessed our brain power we have enough to uh toast a slice of bread lightly so um you've helped us a great deal tanner thank you you're welcome i hope that uh the the talk wasn't too boring for the listeners i know sometimes i can get on rants about this stuff and I hope I didn't bore anybody. It's okay. Either way, we enjoyed it, and no, it's we, our podcast, so it's all about us. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I, I totally understand the, uh, the the feeling of feeling dumb on your podcast because I've uh, we've interviewed Doug Wilson. Oh yeah, and uh, and and R.C. Sproul Jr. Yeah, James uh, White, Jim Durbin, James White. <laughs> yeah. I I didn't yeah. even know what to say half the time. I was just, I felt like a total idiot. Yeah. So, no, I, no. Well, I, we, I heard those. That and you, they were great, great podcast. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I, I had all my questions pre-written for Doctor Frame, and I almost felt like. Uh, Remember those old uh, SNL skits with uh, Chris Farley, oh. where, where 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 he would have the famous actor on, and they'd, he'd say to you know Sean or you know you know Clint Eastwood, right. "Hey, do you remember that scene? Yeah, where you had that gun to that guy's head and you said make my day, and he's like, oh yes, and that that was awesome. Um, that's that's pretty much all I could do with John Frame. Remember when you wrote that massive tome on lordship? That was really cool. Um, so yeah, he'll he'll never be back. But uh, we enjoyed it just the same. Yeah, I'm thankful that I have less in those moments because Les went to seminary and he he knows so much more about church history than I do. He's just had you know just more time and that kind of stuff. Sure. Uh, and I try to keep up with it, but the med school kind of hampers that, so uh, uh, it makes it a lot more difficult. So in those moments, I kind of just uh, refer to Les and let him. Let him run run the show. That's uh, awesome. I just kind of provide commentary 
and uh, and try to try to be as entertaining as I possibly can. Yes, yes. No, you guys do a great job, uh, uh, Tanner. Thank you again for, for being on. Yeah, thank you. We're going to go ahead and sign off now. Uh, Greg, Tanner, we just rocked the Casper. Yes. He's going to 11.